all this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham, and uh, I've taken on the role of interim senior pastor here at City Reach. Well, it is the Christmas season, and yet we are introducing a new series called The Way of the Cross. Now, you might be asking, like, it's Christmas, right? Like, surely we should be talking about the coming of Jesus and his birth and all that kind of stuff. So why are we talking about the cross? Well, the reason Jesus came wasn't to show the world a humble baby in a manger. The real reason Jesus came was to fill his father's mission, that he was to die a sacrificial death on the cross, taking the sins of the whole world, and then rising again on the third day to defeat death. So really, the cross is of vital importance, and we shouldn't ever talk about Christmas without mentioning the cross. But now, I do think, like, baby Jesus is almost easier, right? Because the cross confronts us. The cross challenges us. And it especially challenges us on those things that take us away from Jesus. Uh, the Bible calls these things idols, right? An idol is anything that we put above God. Now, they can even be good things. Actually, the truth is, in fact, most of the time, they are good things. But what we can do is make them God things. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the four idols that we all wrestle with in some, to some degree. And so this morning, we begin by looking at the idol of comfort and ease. And next week, we'll be looking at the idol of our sexuality and how that is, is kind of messed up in the world. Now, just a heads up about that message for your parents out there. Uh, there's probably some content in that message which is not suitable for children, uh, we are running a children's holiday program, so please be thinking, be mindful of that, about perhaps maybe getting your kids into that program. Uh, we will then look at the idol of money and material things. And then finally, we'll look at the idol of power. But this morning, it is the idol of comfort and ease. Uh, so there was a guy called Dale Carnegie, who wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Has anyone heard of that book? If you can. All right, quite a few of you. Now, that book, do you know, was written in 1936. That's a long time ago. And yet, it's got this, this massive influence. Uh, and lots of people still refer to it today. But it seems like Jesus wasn't one of those people. Because we get to verse 25 in Luke uh, chapter 14, and it says this, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, great crowds, right? Jesus was popular. He was an influencer. They would have called him an influencer today. He would have had a lot of likes on his YouTube account and his Instagram account. He was going around doing healings and miracles, and he had heaps of fans. Even within the context of Luke chapter 14, Jesus has healed someone on the Sabbath. He's at a wedding feast and he displays this humility. He's just announced a great invitation to the banquet and the people are loving him and they're following him and there's these great crowds. And now Jesus has his moment. He's going to turn and he's going to say something profound and everyone's on edge. What's he going to say? This is his moment. And this is what he says. 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoa, (laughs) did Jesus just say the H word? Right? I'm pretty sure he just said the H word. And you can imagine all these fans suddenly silence. Well, that's, that's quite, uh, we weren't expecting that, were we? And then Jesus, once he has their attention, they're looking at him, he goes even further and he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And those listening go, well, that, that didn't go so well. That's, that's a little bit awkward. Jesus, did you, did you read how to win friends and influence people? I mean, you kind of, kind of imagine everyone, they start pulling out their phones, unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unfollow, unfollow. You know, what is Jesus doing? Is he, is he having one of those like celebrity meltdown moments where like, I'm going off social media forever. I don't want anyone to follow me. I mean, doesn't, want Jesus, doesn't Jesus want people to follow him? Wasn't that why he came? Like he said, follow me. Well, the truth is, he does. He does. But he really wants us to follow him. Not the kind of Instagram and Twitter following. Right, you see, right now, he has a lot of fans. People are comfortable with what he said. He hasn't really challenged them. But what Jesus wants are true followers. So let's, just for a second, we're going to go back and we're going to look at this moment where Jesus drops his H-bomb, right? The word hate, right? Now, when, what does Jesus mean when he says, hey, listen, if you want to follow me, you have got to hate your mother and your father, your wife and your children. I don't know about you, but that's awkward. That's very awkward. But what we need to understand is when we think of the word hate, it is an emotional feeling, right? We often use it when we're very angry. We will say, I hate so-and-so, or I hate vegetables, I hate pizza. Probably that was a bad example. No one hates pizza. But do you know what I mean? It's like an emotional thing that we feel towards someone or something. But in Hebrew thinking, it's an understanding of how you relate to one another. The Greek word there for hate is missio, which means to love less, to renounce one choice in the favor of another. Jesus is using this as a comparison word. You know, we know from elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus tells us, no, honor your mother and father. Love your wives and children. So Jesus is not telling people, listen, if you want to to follow me, you've got to hate people. No, he's saying in comparison to everything and anyone else, you've got to love me. I've got to be number one. Even, even to your family. You know, family is one of the things that we treasure most. I mean, if you think about Christmas, what's one of the first thoughts that come to your mind? It's Christmas lunch, right? It's celebrating with family. One of the things most people are panicked about is maybe this year with what's happened, we might miss out on Christmas lunch together. We might miss out on this family time. You know, even people who are not believers, they're not followers of Jesus, they think 
Family is the most important thing. It's held in high regard. One of the great theologians, Mark Wilberg, he's not, by the way, that's a joke. Uh, For me, this is what he says, for me, family always comes first. I would do anything to protect them. Right? Here's a guy who's saying, hey, all my fame and all my fortune, the most treasured thing I have is my family. And you know, that's, that's a good thing. I, I don't know about you, but in this pandemic, I find one of the most heart-wrenching things is hearing the stories of families that are unable to see each other. They're unable to get together for moments like Christmas. And Jesus is saying here, it's really shocking, guys. Think about it. He's saying like, hey, the, the thing that you love most, even your family, even your family, I actually need to be number one. Even your very life. Even your very life. Think about the thing that we love most, guys. Number one. He goes, no, I need to be number one. So he's really asking us this question, He's saying, where am I on the list of things that you love? Am I number three? Am I number four? Or maybe I'm even tied for second place. Where is he on your list? What is the thing that you truly love the most? Um, There's this great little skit that's done through, uh, it's called Messenger Studios, and they do little skits in the Bible to get us thinking about certain things. And there's this little skit between um, a husband and wife. It's called uh, Justin and Angela. So you can go to YouTube and look it up. And it's the setting where they're in a restaurant, the husband and wife, and they're about to sit down and have this meal. And uh, a husband, the waiter comes along, and the husband orders his, his dish, and then he goes to the wife, and she orders like three or four dishes. And he's, he's like, honey, are you, are you hungry or something? Like, that's a lot of food. And she says, oh, no, no, I'm, it's not for me. We're, we're expecting. And he goes, we're expecting? That's great. And she goes, yeah, yeah, he'll be here in a second. And with that, another man walks in, gives her an awkward kiss, and sits next to her. And you can see the husband's eyes. He's like, whoa, what, what's going on? Yeah. And then she goes, well, is there something wrong? And he goes, what, what's going on here? And with that, another guy arrives and sits on the other side, again, gives her this awkward kiss, puts his arm around her and sits down. And he's like, honey, like, am I missing something here? What's going? And she goes, oh, what, what are you worried about? These are, these are my other boyfriends. Oh, you're still my favorite. I still like you, but hey, can't we all just sit down and, and have a meal together? And the husband's like, uh, no, we're married, and these guys need to go. And the situation just gets more and more awkward, more and more bizarre. But the point is, it's exactly like that. Jesus is saying, no, guys, I call you into this intimate relationship. It's just you and me. The relationship that you and I have is so unique, so exclusive, and so special. There is no place for others that are equal at the table. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my follower, you want to really be my disciple, I need to be number one in your heart. I need to be the thing that's going to take precedent over everything else. Now, why? 
Why? Why? Like you think, Jesus, maybe you're just being a little bit egotistical here. Like really? It's like, do we have to be number one? You see, everything else that we love, it is creation. It's made by Almighty God, the Creator, right? It's, it's special, and it is a gift from God, but it's not God Himself. You know, it might, they might offer you some satisfaction and some joy, and, and we should turn and give thanks to God for it, and thanks to God for them, but it's not the Creator Himself. You know, it's like, it's like a, a father and a child, and it's like a little girl longing for, for company and longing to be loved. And her father comes home, and he says, my little girl, I love you so much, and because I love you, I've got a gift for you. And it's like that little girl snatching the gift out of her dad's hand and then turning her back on her father and becoming so engrossed with the gift, so engrossed with the gift that she forgets about the gift giver her very father that she could have a relationship with and become so focused on the thing that she was given. And Jesus is saying, if, if I'm not number one, you cannot be my disciple. You, you, you just can't. And you're like, whoa, Jesus, aren't you being a little bit too hard here? Can't we just have that little moment where we, we enjoy all together and we're all equal? Like, Jesus, you've just taken the bar from here where I'm comfortable, and you've raised it to here. And, and you're saying to me, if you want me to, me to be your disciple, then you've got to be the thing that I treasure most, right? And Jesus will say, yes, that's true. But actually, there's an even higher expectation. Really, there, there is. There's a higher expectation, and yes, and Jesus will go, yes. You need to bear your own cross. Now, for those fans listening, they would have known exactly what that meant. You see, when someone was sentenced to die by crucifixion, they had to carry their own cross through the streets, this heavy thing that was going to kill them. And everyone would come out, and they would laugh at them, they would mock them, they would spit on them, and then when you would get to the place where you're going to be crucified, you would be nailed to the cross and you would die a slow, painful death while people stood around laughing and mocking you. And sometimes it took days for people to die. So imagine all these fans hearing these words like, whoa, that's not what I expected. I don't know about you, but I'm uncomfortable right now. And that's how we should feel. That's crazy, Jesus. You've just set the bolt over here. Jesus is asking, who's in? Who's in? Um, years ago, my, my wife and I, we used to live in Hong Kong, uh, and it was at the time of the Rugby World Cup. Now, rugby wasn't such a big thing in Hong Kong, and I was desperate to watch it. So I was looking out for this channel that you could watch it on. And I was trying to look out for a deal because it was quite an expensive channel where I could find. And in it, one day I walked past one of the broadcasting companies that sell TV channels, and I saw a sign outside that was advertising this channel. And it was like, I can't remember the thing, but it was like, 
1999 for this channel. And I'm like, woohoo, I found it. This is great. So this little sign was advertised outside. I went in the door, went up, and I said, hey, like that advertisement outside for this channel, uh, is that 1999? He's, yes, it is. I said, I'd like it. Can I sign up? And he goes, yeah, come, come this way. And you know the mountain of paperwork that you have to work through? And then I'm kind of like going through a tick, tick. And he goes, okay, that'll be uh, 48.90. And I'm like, whoa, didn't, it says 1999 outside. And he goes, oh, yes, it is, it is, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's the administration fee, there's the connection fee, and then there's, I just want to charge you for something fee. And I, I felt deceived, like, no, no, outside, you've told me it's, it's like 1999, and, and now there's actually a higher cost? You see, Jesus doesn't hide anything from us. He's not like that. He tells us exactly what it is. He tells us, guys, this isn't going to be super easy. This isn't going to be a a road where it's nice and comfortable all the time. It's going to be hard. How many of us think being a Christian is easy? It's not, right? It's hard. And Jesus is saying, "I, I don't need fans, right? It's easy to be a fan. It's comfortable to be a fan. I'm a fan of Port Power. Now, that might make some of you happy, and it probably disappoints a whole bunch of you. Um, But the truth is, I'm a fan of Port Power, and it doesn't cost me anything, right? You see, what do fans want? Ultimately, what do fans want? They want, make me happy. Make me happy. That's the bottom line. You pick a team, or you pick a person to follow, but it's all on your terms. It's all on my terms, right? I have all the power. I choose when I will cheer for, the, for, for power. I choose when I will buy merchandise. I choose uh, when I will watch them. You know what I found out? You can even, I can even choose when I will shout disapproval at my own team. I learned that when I went to my first footy game. Only in Australia is it possible to abuse the other team and your team at the same time. It's incredible, but I have the power, right? I want to be comfortable. I want to decide when I'm in and when I don't really feel like being in and actually I'll sit out today. Guys, that's a, that's a cushion. That's comfort. That's not a cross. Imagine, imagine going along and you're watching a, 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 a crow's power game And one of the power players, let's just say it's Robbie Gray. And halfway through the game, he decides, well, you know, I've kind of had enough. I'm just going to sit down right here. In the middle of the field, he just sits down. He just kind of stops playing. He's like, well, I'm not really interested. And then he gets up and he he kind of takes one of the Crows Guernseys and puts it on. He goes, oh, I think I'll play for the other team a little bit now. What would you think? He'd be like, get him off the field. Get him off the field. He doesn't love our team. He's not giving his all. Get him off the field. You see, Jesus wants followers. He wants disciples. Now, the Greek word there for disciple is mathatias. So the root word, you heard it, is maths. Isn't that amazing, right? So be a disciple means to make a a mental effort, to really think it through, to understand who it is you're following. You see, Jesus, he told it like it was. And he says, guys, 
If you're going to be someone that follows me, you are going to be someone that thinks it through. You're going to love God with all your mind. You see, following Jesus, there is a cost. He doesn't promise us a cushion, a life of a fan, a nice, easy ride. No, he says there will be a cross. There will be a cross. You know, and the thing with a cross is you don't get to choose when you're on and off. When you're on a cross, you don't get to say, well, I've actually, I've had enough now. I'm going to step down and rest a bit, and I'll get back on when I want to. It's like, no, you're, you're on there. That's the path you've chosen. It's a slow process as you die to yourself. But now, I don't know about you guys, but I often want the cushion. I want the cushion. I want the nice, easy, even the Christian cushion, right? The nice with a, maybe, maybe a verse, a nice verse embroidered on it. I'm a fan of Jesus, and it gives me a little bit of comfort. I can indulge myself with certain things, and I go, oh, I'm still a fan of Jesus. I want that. When um, my wife and I first moved to Adelaide, we just, we fell in love with Adelaide, right? It was, we had been living in Hong Kong, this crazy, mad city, and we got to Adelaide, and there was blue skies and, and flowers and green grass, and we were just in love. We still are. We still think. Like yesterday, I was chatting to Lou George, and we said, Adelaide must be one of the best cities in the world to live in, right? It's just great. And I was having lunch with uh, Nathan Webster and Timon at Be Social. And uh, I remember the conversation we were having, and I asked the question, I said, what, what are the idols of Adelaide? I just, I can't see them. You know, in Hong Kong, it was obvious because it was money. It was right in front of you, you know. Uh, when people didn't come to church, it was because they were working. They were working extra shifts. And I said, well, what about Adelaide? Like, what are the idols in Adelaide? And uh, I think it was Nathan. He said, I think it's the good life. People want the good life. They want, they want a little bit of work. That's meaningful and purposeful, but... Hey, they, we also want the good stuff. To put it this way, like most people when they come and say, well, I'm not coming to church today, it's because they're going mountain biking or fishing. Or they're going to go look at a new car to buy. And Jesus confronts that idol. And he says, I need to be number one. I need to be number one. Guys, count the cost of this. Count the cost of this. Think it through. And Jesus, being Jesus, then gives them very clear examples. He says, okay, think about it this way. Think about building a house and fighting a war. So imagine a guy who's going to build a house. They decided, or a tower. The very first thing they're going to do is not lay a brick. They're going to go to their bank manager, and they're going to go, do we have enough money to, to pull this off? We don't want to get halfway or just lay the foundations and then find out we've got no money. Right? Because if we do... People are not going to look at us and go, oh, shame, poor you, that's terrible. No, they're going to mock you. They're going to mock you if they see that happens. And the truth is, when Jesus said these words 2,000 years ago, they are still very true today. Um, this is a picture of uh, the Torah de David. It is a, a big tower that was built in Venezuela, in Caracas. And there was a guy by the name of David Brillenberg. 
And he started building this in 1990. He had these grand dreams of what it would look like. And it was going really well. But in 1994, he ran out of money. And it stopped. And it still stopped. It's now an empty shell that has never been completed. And it's this big eyesore in Caracas. And they've named it the, the, the Toro de David, which means the Tower of David, after the guy who financed it. Not as a, well done, David, more as a mocking. <laughs> hey, you started out, you didn't finish. And then Jesus goes from him. Imagine a war. Imagine that you're a general of an army. You've only got 10,000 troops and you hear of another army coming to attack you and they got 20,000 and you know if they get you and they find out you only got 10,000, you're dead. You're dead. No, you're going to count the cost and you're going to like, okay, let's, let's quickly send a peace treaty, make sure we can agree terms so it doesn't come to that. Count the cost. And essentially, Jesus is saying to them in very clear terms, guys, Do you want to be my fans or do you want to be my followers? Do you want to be my disciples? Are you after a cross or a cushion? Do we love those things that give us such temporary satisfaction and joy rather than the real joy giver? You know, then... Jesus says something really weird, right? Like, and, and I don't know, in your Bibles, a lot of Bibles, they kind of break this verse up from the rest of what's been said. He says this weird thing about salt, but they actually, they go together. And uh, he, he says this in verse 34 and 35. It says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying, I want you to think of a disciple as salt. As salt. Now, when you think of salt, what do you, what do you think it main useful? Food, right? Like you think, give it a little bit of taste. Makes it taste a little bit better. Now, I've got bad news for you. Jesus doesn't call us salt to make the world taste a little bit better. It's actually a much greater purpose than that. In Jesus' day, salt was also used for two main purposes, for the soil and for the manure pile, right? And for the soil, they used the salt, and it acted like a kind of potash, like a fertilizer, and they'd put it on the soil, and it would make things grow. It would make good things grow. But it was also used for the manure pile. You see, in those days, they weren't flushing toilets, And if you went and did your business, you had to kind of go outside to the manure pile. And when you were finished, you had to take a handful of salt and, you know, put it on the manure pile, and it would act as a disinfectant. Aren't you glad you don't live in those times anymore? But that's what you had to do. So basically, it had two major qualities. One, it would make good things grow, but it would also stop bad things from getting worse. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, that's what it's going to be like. Guys, as you you walk with Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit is in you and you walk, you will find in your heart that he will make good things grow. 
desires that he puts in you, blessings that flow out of you. He does that in us, and it flows out of us. It affects our own soul, but it also affects those around us. But it also has this other effect. The Holy Spirit comes on us, and he causes those, those things in our life that we once loved, that we once really ran after. He just like, no, I don't love those anymore. And the bad things, the unhealthy things in our lives, he causes them to stop and dry up. And you know what? As you walk through this life, you become salt to other people around you. They look at what God's doing in you and they go, I need to grow those good things in my life and I need to stop those things that are damaging in my life. But you know, salt could become corrupted. And how it was corrupted is you'd go to the market and you would buy a bag of salt. And then you'd take it home and you'd get home and you'd open it up and you'd find out that it had been defiled and corrupted because it had been mixed with sand. And it was useless. You couldn't use it. You couldn't use it for the soil now. It wouldn't make good things grow. And you couldn't use it for the manure pile. So what you did is you threw it away. It was useless. And Jesus is saying, if you want to function as my disciple, if you want to grow, there's no such thing as this halfway thing. You know, you're not, you're not really in, you're not really out, you're just kind of mixed. You're not really going to make a difference in your own soul and those around you. And Jesus is saying, there is a cost There is a cost to following me. And guys, there is a cost to following Jesus. But this is what he wants you to get. This is the most important thing you've got to hear. Is that he is worth it. He's worth it, right? I know that the cross doesn't look great, right? It's not this this exceptionally attractive thing. Especially when you compare it to a nice cushion and all the nice things in life. It doesn't actually look that appealing, But here's the thing about the cross. When you come to the cross, it calls you to die. calls you to die to those desires. But here's the thing it gives you. It gives you life. It gives you real life, resurrection life. You know, it's impossible, impossible to begin your, your journey in following Jesus without starting at the cross. To come to the cross and say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. I love you for the cross. And you lay everything there. But you don't just do it once. You go back daily again and again and again. And the cross becomes more and more beautiful. Jesus is saying, it's worth it, guys. It's worth it. Count the cost. It's going to be tough, but it's worth it. When my wife and I started dating, uh, straight away it was long distance. She was in Moscow and I was in Hong Kong. And there's a lot of time difference between the two. Which meant that when Irina finished work, uh, that's the time we would talk, but it meant that it was 2 a.m. for me. Now, I'm not a late-night person, right? It gets to 10 o'clock, and I'm, I'm finished, right? I can't even string a sentence together. My wife says I go into screensaver mode, you know? Like, I'm there, but nothing's really happening. Uh, that's what I'm like. But for then... Man, I would set my alarm clock for 2 a.m. I would wake up. We would chat for two or three hours. And then I'd go back to sleep for a little bit. And I'd wake up and I'd be totally wrecked the next day. I would arrive at work with bloodshot eyes. I don't know what everyone thought. But I I was wrecked. 
But you know what? It was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. And I, I didn't do it because I felt it was a duty or I felt guilty about doing it. I did it because I loved her. I loved her. I wanted to know her more. I wanted to talk to her more. And yes, there was a cost. It cost me my sleep. It cost me, it cost me my tiredness. But it was worth it. Absolutely worth it. You know, Jesus describes it in another way like this. He says, guys, I want you to think the kingdom and the king of this kingdom, think of it as a merchant who's is looking. He's looking for that pearl. And when he finds that pearl that he's been looking for, he goes, it is worth it. I will sell everything that I have. I will gladly sacrifice everything I have because I know how precious this pearl is. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are you a fan or are you a follower? Do you crave a cushion and all the nice comforts of this life and all the material things that come with it? Or are we prepared to go to the cross? We're going to move into a time where we take the bread and the cup. And it's a time when we remember what Jesus has won for us, the victory that he created. Because guys, everything I've said to you this morning, it's impossible. It's impossible to be a disciple of that magnitude if we try and do it all in our own strength. Or we do it from a place of guilt or duty. You know, it might last a while. But as soon as it gets hard or we become proud and we think, hey, look at me, I've got this whole disciple thing worked out. The truth is we all fail to take up our cross at times. I do. I've done it this week. You know, there's things that I've desired more than I've desired Jesus. We trade the cross that we're called to bear for a cushion. I do it. You know, and that's why Jesus came. When Jesus spoke to them and he talked, hey, you've got to bear your own cross, he himself hadn't been to the cross yet. And what he was calling them to was something that he was going to show them. Because they couldn't live this way. And that's why he came and he said, I will carry the cross for you. I will go and I will take your sin and your shame. I will take your idol of ease and comfort and I will bear it for you.